Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 169. My name is Urban. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooleman? I'm none too shabby. How about you? I'm doing all right. Um, we, you know, a little, you know, inside baseball behind, behind, you know, you know those behind the music uh, documentaries where they talk about like music stars, traumatic past life or whatever. Mm. Behind the podcast, Fulman and I were struggling for what we wanted to talk about today. Yes. Yeah, we were in a bit of a lurch in terms of topicality. And then Kyle Dubas, hearing our pleas, I'm sure, reached out to Arizona and acquired some players for us. And so now we have uh, a couple things to talk about. Yes. First and foremost, this trade. Um, I can lay out what happened. Yes, please do. Place to start. So the Toronto Maple Leafs acquired forward Ryan Zingle and defenseman Ilya Lyubushkin from Arizona in exchange for Nick Ritchie forever in our hearts and Arizona gets to choose between Toronto's third round pick in 2023 or Toronto's second round pick in 2025 um that pick condition is kind of interesting I don't know that it's hugely significant and for our purposes we can say we'll treat it as a second round pick but I am fascinated that Arizona maintained the optionality to take something a little bit worse but two years earlier Maybe depending on if they have someone they really like in the draft, mm-hmm. or maybe just in terms of where they see their own timeline going, and they might figure it's worth getting someone two years ahead of, of schedule. Yeah, so it's. I mean, I actually do want to talk about that a little at first because <laughs> it's kind of it, it is it is quite interesting. I I wonder when they have to make that decision. Well, I guess like okay, so the way Cap Friendly is mm-hmm. describing it is, um. Arizona can exchange the 2025 second. So the condi- it's a 2025 conditional second round pick. So it seems like the default is 2025 second rounder. Mm-hmm. And then if they want to, Arizona can exchange the 2025 second for Toronto's 2023 third. Yes. And I feel like we should add, we are going to talk about the players who came back, which are more significant than this. However, it's such a funny little condition. Mm. You don't see anything like that that often. And being who we are, we're sort of fascinated by the odd little things that get thrown in around the edges. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that this really does Arizona a ton of good, but it does give them the a condition, choice. You mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives them a choice where they wouldn't have had one, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's strictly better than just having a 2025 conditional second. Yeah. You, you know, if there's some scenario where it turns out that the third is somehow more appealing to them, they can take advantage of that. But let's treat it as a second and I won't have a ton else to say about the condition. So the Leafs essentially paid a second round pick to A, unload Nick Ritchie, B, acquire Ilya Lyubushkin, and three, acquire Ryan Zingle. So I'll start by saying I'm pretty positive on this trade because I think the things they did here might have been expected to cost more than one pick. Th- that's my starting point here is that I think that they did well in terms of cost-benefit here. Yeah, um, just to... Uh, lay out what the contracts are. Uh, Lyubushkin, or Lyubushkin, I haven't watched enough Coyotes to remember how his name is pronounced, so my apologies there, um, has, uh, he's expiring this offseason. His cap hit and AAV are $1.35 million. Uh, Ryan Zingle also expires <clears throat> this season. Both of them expire as UFAs. Cap hit of $1.1 million, and Richie, as we know, um, has a contract for $2.5 million next year. Kind of interestingly, he actually gets paid more 
next year than this year in terms of real salary. And he doesn't have any signing bonuses to speak of. Um, this is not quite Arizona's MO. They tend to like the, the deals that are less expensive in real dollars than they are in cap dollars. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite of that. And it makes me wonder if they just want to flip Richie in the offseason or perhaps even later this season if, if they think they can perform a bit of arbitrage there. Yes, I definitely think that they intend, or at least they're planning towards, trading Nick Ritchie before his contract expires. And this deal makes a little bit more sense on their end if you start as trading Nick Ritchie, not as Nick Ritchie per se, but as, say, a third or fourth round pick with a later maturity date. You know, it's... He's coming to them, and he costs too much against the salary cap for what he's currently bringing, which is not very much, and he cleared waivers. But as his deal gets closer to its conclusion, his price effectively goes down. Arizona can also play him if they want in their top six because they don't have that many good players. And so they can easily put him in a position where you can see him getting back to 10 or 15 goals for the next NHL season. And if they do that, yeah, they'll probably get another pick out of this. So it can seem like the Leafs maybe swindled Arizona a little bit on this one in a minor way. This isn't the hugest trade, but I think Toronto came out well. But it is also worth remembering Nick Ritchie, to us, is a bit of a little boat anchor. Nick Ritchie to Arizona may potentially be an asset before too long. Um, we're probably more interested in who we're getting, though. And the big takeaway here is Ilya Lyubushkin, who mm-hmm. we've had occasion to learn about recently. Because cards on the table, Arvin and I don't watch a ton of Arizona Coyotes games if we can avoid it. You know, maybe in a ransom situation we would. But by and large, we're not going out of our way to do this. So we are learning a lot about him in a short time. Now, thankfully, this isn't the very first I've heard of him or anything like that. He's sort of been, I'm going to say, a lower level chatter name for a while now in terms of people looking for budget ads. He was affordable, which the Leafs can always appreciate. He's a defensively competent right defenseman. Um, I think the starting point here is, I don't know if he's going to take Justin Hall's job at second pairing right defense. I also can't rule out that he might. So he's in the zone where that's within the realm of possibility, but it's by no means guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing we should do, as always, is like temper our expectations. Mm. Right? Yabushkin is playing... I don't know, like, not quite top four minutes on Arizona, uh, at least in all situations. And Arizona is, you know, kind of barely even in the NHL Mm -hmm. at this point. So, yeah, like, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a bad team's below median defender. Yeah, and so the question is, is he going to look better once he gets out of Arizona? Because it's very easy to make excuses for any bad results that he has. And for the record, his results tend to skew defensive, as you'd expect based on his player profile. Yeah, he, but, um, just to uh, yeah. he, he uh, make it a bit more concrete, he's the generally the fifth most played um, Arizona defenseman behind Chikrin, Goss Despair, Anton Strawman, and someone named Mayo, who I don't know. I don't know his first name. And that probably says something. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you named the three prominent names in the Arizona defense, and then... Someone uh, named Dyson Mayo. Yes, I have heard of Dyson Mayo, because he sounds like a combination of two things you would find in your kitchen, but I don't know anything else about him besides mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so... We shouldn't be expecting Lyabushkin to come in here and totally change the makeup of the team. The best case scenario, and let's just dream a little bit here, is something akin to what the Caps did with McCall Company um, when they acquired him for their cup run. Uh, they got him for a third round pick. I distinctly recall some people saying, hey, who is this, Mr. Kempney? And he wound up being a meaningful contributor for them as sort of a fourth defenseman on route to the Stanley Cup. Obviously, that's the very loftiest scenario. The much more likely one is Lyabushkin shows up, is kind of fine as sort of a third pair, occasional second pair tweener. And then, you know, if he leaves in the offseason, maybe in three years, we're trying to remember who Ilya Lyabushkin was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the player fit, it's interesting to me. Obviously, it's beneficial that he shoots right uh, as... Well, fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but certainly longtime listeners of this podcast know we always seem to be wanting another right-handed defenseman. It's it's rare that we've uh, we've been able to say we're content with the number that we have. So I think that there is at least a possibility of putting him with Jake Muzzin. Looking at his skater profile, and, and I'm indebted to Kevin Papetti, who I'm quoting here. He's a six foot two right defense who skates quite well. It's tough to beat him out wide in transition, and he keeps a pretty tight gap. He's not going to be the primary puck mover on his pairing, but he's a solid contributor. So sort of a pro-con there, because those are some elements that I think we would like on the Toronto Maple Leafs in terms of ability to shut down chances. I'm also always encouraged when I hear that these guys aren't pylons. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, and, and the Leafs yeah. in particular because of the kind of puck-dominating nature of their play, are, are perhaps more exposed to rush chances than, than other teams. So having someone who can defend their own blue line and like, can keep a tight gap and you know, nip some of those chances in the bud is quite useful. Absolutely, and we've seen that with TJ Brody with Morgan Riley, and so a miniature version of that doesn't sound so bad. But the point, he's not going to be the primary puck mover on his pairing. It does give me a little bit of pause if the fit is with Jake Muzzin. Right. And I mean, for the price, you're not getting a guy who's like playing, going to play no doubt about it second pair minutes and is going to succeed there uh, and like be, be the driver, at least like in terms of moving the puck. But yeah, it, it's, <clears throat> you know, no one would describe making first passes one of Jake Muzzin's extreme strengths. I don't think he's awful at it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in this case, if we're, if, it doesn't seem like Lubushkin is, is the guy to, to really ease the burden on Muzzin in that regard. Exactly. He seems like a much more natural fit with Rasmus Sandin to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandin is obviously a very gifted puck-moving defenseman. He could probably use a bit of a bigger, more conservative defensive presence, but one who's not so slow that Sandin's going to leave him in the dust all the time either. The thing is... The Leafs' third pairing this year of Sandine plus Guy, whether Guy is Timothy Lilligren or Travis Dermott or really whoever, has been a very good third pairing. If we're getting Lyubushkin and all he becomes is a decent third pairing guy, then we haven't really improved a whole lot because we already had that. The benefit comes either if you can A, 
put him with Jake Muzzin and have that work in tougher minutes or put him with Sandine and then demand more of the Sandine Lyabushkin pairing. So if they're asked to do more together, then maybe that also works from that perspective. And of course, this is injury depth um, as, as much as anything, you know. Uh, yeah, I, that's what is, I was going to mention. Is yeah. like the other benefit is you're now, you know, you're you're one more injury away from having to re- play a replacement level player. Yeah, whose name is Alex Biega. So, yes, <laughs> him in particular. But that said, they've also created a bit of a logjam for themselves on the defense. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, worth noting that because of the addition of Zingle, who we'll talk about shortly, mm-hmm. um, the Leafs roster as it was last night with these two players added on uh, is not cap compliant. So they're going to have to send either Sandine or Liljegren down. Yeah. I am fairly confident that's going to be Liljegren. Right. Liljegren's already been papered down once this week. He's now had it done again. I, I think, you know, we talked about Liljegren in detail um, an episode ago, so I won't go into uh, a great detail about it again. But I think he's done well as a sixth defenseman, and then when he's stepped up a little bit more, he's kind of struggled. And so this might be a statement as much as anything of saying, okay, we don't think Ilya Grin is ready to do anything more significant than sixth defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the plan is with Travis Dermott at this point in time. Yes, that's the other thing. Like, I mean, we, we just said, okay, you know, advantage of this is you have, you essentially have like um, eight players who you would be pretty comfortable with in the NHL, mm-hmm. right? Um, the six who played on defense yesterday, Travis Dermott, and now uh, Lyubushkin. So, you know, that has an advantage in terms of injury, uh, especially if you hope to make a deep playoff run, and this at least surely do. But, you know, Travis Dermott is, is making a bit of money for 7th-slash-8th defenseman. Yes, $1.5 million is more than those guys typically cost. It's more than Lyubushkin is making, who we are presumably hoping we'll do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and who shoots right, which puts him more in demand, although Dermot has hung in okay playing on his offside. It does make me wonder also if the Leafs are going to move to recoup some of the, the draft picks that they've lost in, in recent years to trades. You know, this year, they have their first and their second, and then they're out for the next four rounds after that, and then they pick a seventh. You know? That's not the end of the world, and for a team in Toronto's position, which is basically we should be going all in every year because of our contract situation, um, it's expected. You will deal out draft picks, but you're not totally comfortable having nothing because that does choke you down the line in terms of you don't have a pipeline into the organization that's of great strength, Um, even though the Leafs have drafted what seems like decently well under Kyle Dubas for what they've had. So you do wonder, okay, if Dermot is on the outs here, and we've talked about how Sheldon Keefe doesn't seem to really trust him to do any more than third pair, maybe can he be flipped to get some sort of asset back? Or is he even worth an asset on the trade market now? Do teams say, hey, it's 1.5 million? Because I said I wasn't sure he would clear waivers. And as long as that's true, maybe you're not getting much for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just a bit more on Lyubushkin. We've kind of talked about him in terms of like this, this shutdown player who isn't going to do much with the puck on his stick but can hopefully limit uh, opposing teams. Mm-hmm. 
And that seems to be borne out by his play driving stats too. His RIPMs are basically always like negative in offense, positive on defense to the extent, and like they'll net out against each other to varying degrees. He's had years where they've netted out to be a, a overall positive for the team and overall negative for the team. But his style in that, the style of results rather, seems to be pretty consistent of, you know, not really going to help you drive offense, but can can be useful in, um, you know, shutting other teams down. He hasn't really been asked to play severe competition. No. It, it, it's worth noting. That said, I mean, his quality of teammates in Arizona is also terrible. Yes. Like, there's no way you're getting really carried in Arizona. Um, you know, the most you would expect is maybe the guy who gets to play with Chikrin all the time, but that's not the case for Lyabushkin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this year, his his um, competition has gone up. Like uh, it, It's like league average competition mm-hmm. now. So uh, we said it kind of, he's playing in a lower end top four-ish role in terms of all, all situation minutes, but at least at five on five, he, he's not getting crazy sheltered by any means. Right. And I do think that you have to look at this trade with an eye to at least having a possibility of finding a better fit for the second pairing. Like, it it makes a lot more sense if that's what you have in mind. And if it's just, he's another third pair guy to add to the pile and he's some injury depth, that's still okay. Because as we've talked about, the price off the top is very reasonable. But it's a little bit less exciting. And again, when you're acquiring guys like Lyabushkin, as you said, you're not getting rock-solid second-pairing guys all the time. You know, like, that's just not the market that we're shopping in. We would have to get quite lucky for him to turn out to be a real difference maker. Um, But if he's at the level of displacing Justin Hall, who is a fifth defenseman and just happened to fit well with Jake Muzzin for a while, then that counts as a victory, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, based on this, hopefully you can kind of perceive the type of player that he would be, right? I mean, strong defensive results while not really being a player who drives faster or more efficient zone exits suggests that he perhaps is, is a good in-zone defensive defender. Mm-hmm. And that can be valuable on a team that does not have that many good in-zone defensive defenders. Uh, and on a team that still does struggle to, to in, in terms of giving up the blue line at times, or, or certainly has some defensive frailties in that regard. Um, you know, on the other hand, I, I wonder, having not seen him enough to really make this determination, I wonder if he will fit in particularly well with how active the Leafs defenders are in the offensive zone. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like his game from what I can see of, you know, the stats and anything like that. Um, it is heartening to know that he's, like, a, a good skater. And if he's played with Sandine, you know, you, you kind of imagine Sandine has the green light and Lyubyushkin has the red light. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I should say something in correction. Uh, Lyubyushkin does play a decent amount of his time with Chekron. It's about half his time with him, half his time away from him at 5v5 this year. But mm-hmm. I did say, you know, always oh, not getting carried by Chekron. His results might be helped a bit by Chikrin, but I don't know what their relative usage is. Um, Chikrin is kind of the star player on Arizona insofar as they have one. So. Yeah, although he, he's struggled this year, but I mean, I, I think it's more like less, it's less like, oh, Chikrin is bad, and more that like, okay, Chikrin cannot single-handedly, you know, <laughs> bring this roster up to respectability. Yeah, that's the thing, is like the on-ice results of 
almost everyone on Arizona are quite bad because the team is terrible. You know, like this is a team that was not constructed to win NHL games and they're not winning very many of them. So it can be difficult to evaluate a player like Lyubushkin, who nobody expects is a significant driver of results one way or the other. And so will he be someone who, once he gets out of that environment, fits quite well? Or will he be someone who turns out to have been a mediocrity on a bad team? Yeah, I mean, so I'm just looking at Chikrin and Levyushkin's um, minutes together now, and they're like ter- they're they net out negative, mm-hmm. brutal offense, good defense, so basically very low event. Mm-hmm. Um, their yeah. most played opposition opponents, like individual opponents, are um, looks like Essa Lindell, Miro Heiskinen, so that's like you know good pairing on Dallas. Um, McDavid and, and Dreisaitl are up there. So does I'm, I'm guessing they're not crazy sheltered. Yeah, like it's enough that they're relying on... The thing is, is that he's being asked to do some hard work in Arizona, or he was. But the thing, it's almost hard to say that there are any consequences for them because, you know, what happens if he screws up? Well, the team loses like it was doing anyway. Um, so it can be tough to to evaluate someone who is in what's clearly an impossible situation in terms of Arizona and the results that he's getting. What we do have are these isolates that suggest he's a, a big low event defenseman who can be relied on, hopefully, to, to quiet the game down a little bit. I, I think with um, discussions like this, and this came up with the Ben Chirot rumors, which I assume are now towards the back burner after this mm-hmm. trade, but who knows. There's a perception that the Leafs are missing a particular type of player. Um, PJ Stock attributed it to physical and mental grit. Um, I've seen people talk about very good forechecking teams like Carolina and St. Louis uh, recently giving the Leafs fits. And so what do you do about that? Well, I mean, the cliched hockey answer is if people are really right on you, you need to shorten your game up in terms of everyone comes back further so that the passes to make your way up the ice are shorter, which means you make less progress, but they're also safer. Um, I don't know if Lyabushkin fits into that in terms of bringing different elements or in terms of making it possible for the Leafs to play a different way. The dream scenario would be the Leafs scouted someone who fits into the system they want to run with, um, but who also can address some of the weaknesses that they appear to have. Um, I, I would have been kind of surprised if they got someone who was like a total pylon just because that would have been a very awkward fit for what's being asked here. So yeah, I, I'm encouraged by it, but I'm also looking at a player who I'm saying is maybe a five, six. And if he is only that, then he isn't a huge upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he's the big takeaway. I don't know if we'll we'll even see him very long, if this is a rental, or if the Leafs are hoping towards a longer relationship. Maybe it'll depend how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Zingle is uh, a classic, oh, you're still here name. Yeah. <laughs> um, very much so. Yeah. He's an interesting player. He's only 29, so it's not inconceivable that, you know, he pops back up and contributes. He's, you know, a determined, hardworking Kind of low event player, but he shot well for a bit there. Yeah, he has um, 
a history of being a strong shooter. And it's, I mean, it, it's come and gone at various points in his career. Mm-hmm. But that can always be useful, especially on a team like Toronto. You can also see him playing a bit of a role on PP2. Yes. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, that said, one of my favorite sayings is, if you're a guy whose main value is scoring and you stop scoring, it gets bad. Ask Nick mm-hmm. Ritchie. Um, now, Zingle can say, hey, he's a decent defensive winger. You know, he's had okay low event results. But still, the reason that he's ever gotten paid in the NHL is because for a couple years in Ottawa, he broke the 20-goal barrier. And since leaving Ottawa, he's never seriously threatened it. So that's kind of iffy. Now, granted, he he didn't play all that many games, it seems like, so he's sort of on the edge of it. He can still chip a puck in every now and then. Yeah, and but... I mean, to your point about, you know, he has some de- decent defensive results. Mm-hmm. They're not... He, he doesn't he doesn't appear to be trusted by coaches though defensively it's not mm-hmm. like he has decent defensive results on like sh- these shutdown pairings it's like he's getting kind of low leverage minutes and it it feels i don't know it feels more similar to those players who get shut down who who get like i guess who have low um who are low event when they're on the ice because like neither team <laughs> is good enough to do anything yeah Fourth line like versus by fourth accident. line sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've seen plenty of depth players who seem to have very good quiet results before. And one of the first things I think, okay, is how many minutes are they playing? Are they playing against, I don't know, the, the Brian Boyles of the world or whatever? Or are they playing against somewhat tougher competition? And we talked about this with David Kampf, who does get somewhat more of a difficult task, more in zone stars. With Zingle... The thing is, you look at the roster, and you say, okay, who is he displacing? He can play left wing or center. Great. That's where we have openings. But you look at the top line, Bunting, Matthews, Marner. You aren't touching that right now. Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander has hit some bumps in the road, but does Dezingle really displace any of them? I doubt it. Um, You have Mikheyev, Kampf, Andre Kasha. Again, I don't see a case for Zingle to get in there, so what is he really doing? Well... If I look at it, if he's playing in the NHL at all, he's sending Pierre Engvall to the press box and mm-hmm. taking over fourth line left wing, I guess. And, you know, he's a bit more of a shooting threat, I guess, than Engvall. But, ha- but, but Engvall's, like, speed and rangeiness kind of helped make up for Simmons's lack of defensive abilities and Spezza's, you know, limited mobility at this point. Yeah, and, you know, for the record... Engvall is scoring at a passable pace. Like, he's going to be in that 10 to 15 goal bracket, which is nothing to write home about, but it's also as much as Zingle has done in the last couple of years. And so you combine that with the fact that Engvall probably has other assets that seem to work there. And I'm not sure if Zingle is actually in the 12 best forwards on the team right now. Um... It wouldn't stun me if, you know, if he's an injury replacement, cycles in, cycles out. It wouldn't even stun me if they waived him. Yeah, he, um, he would have to, like, he, he's, he's not waivers exempt. So no. if, um, if the Leafs waived him, he would be, a team could claim him. And 
I imagine they they do. He he has a fully variable salary of one point one million. Yeah, I right. So, I kind of wonder if just Arizona, in terms of taking money back, wanted to send a certain amount of salary out in terms of real dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, because that makes sense. It's certainly he's not. Um, He's not anything to to cry about, and if they play him on the fourth line, I will understand why. It's completely plausible. But he doesn't do much of anything to change the complexion of this team. And so expectations should be very modest. If if you were just saying, what's the value of Ryan Zingle straight up on the open market? The answer is, like, maybe a seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe he clears waivers altogether. So, yeah, I I don't think that... This trade is really about him. He's just sort of there in it, and it's just notable because he's a name that you might recognize as someone we ran into in Ottawa and who used to score a little bit. Um, Nick Ritchie. I guess, should we eulogize his Maple Leafs career briefly? <laughs> um, before we do, let's just yeah. talk quickly about the cap situation that the Leafs are in. Right, right, right. So, um, as, as mentioned, per cap friendly, um, the Leafs would have to send down either Lowe Green or Sandine um, to make this roster cap compliant. Mm-hmm. In principle, they could also waive Zingle, and that would also make, make them cap compliant, but it seems more likely they want him in the NHL, I guess. Um, or, or, I mean, that's also that's also a possibility, but as we said, like it's likely Lilligren will be um, taken down, or sent down, rather. Um, so per Earl Schwartz, at Earl Schwartz 27, who's a, a great follow for CBA details, mm-hmm. um, with the roster, including Ljubushkin and Zingle, sending Lilligren down, the Leafs will have just shy of $700,000 in deadline space. Um, and one idea that he floats, which I think is interesting, is maybe we see them paper Sandine down a few times on off days to try and get up to seven fifty k by the deadline, uh, which is league minimum, and they can sign someone for league minimum, possibly someone like Josh Hosang if they want. Mm-hmm. Um... And that would certainly be an interesting twist. You, you do wonder, is this the prelude to another move? And I've wondered, you know, already about Travis Dermott, whether we're content with this this number of bodies on defense. Or is this just kind of it? And Lyabushkin is in that weird zone where he doesn't definitively answer any question about this roster, but I think his acquisition was clearly aimed at addressing... Um, the most prominent need on the team. You know, it's not pure depth ad. It's not a guaranteed upgrade. It might have been just what was available to do. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting from that perspective. If the Leafs don't do anything else, um, I will understand. And, you know, I'll hope that this works out. This isn't a game changer. Like, the complexion of the Atlantic Division is not greatly altered by this change. So... Um, yeah, so I was going to mention Nick Ritchie a bit. Yes. I, I, I feel for him. I mean, it seems very clear that he had a cold shooting spell at the absolute worst time. And it helped cost him as good an opportunity as he may ever get in his mm-hmm. NHL career. You know, he, he was with Matthews and Martyr. Well, that's a great place to make money. And he, he wasn't able to take advantage of it. Um... I have to say, and, you know, I I come to bury him not to praise him, unfortunately. His hockey IQ is not great. 
for an NHL player. I don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. It just it wasn't it wasn't adequate for what he was being asked to do, and you can see why teams find him appealing. You know, he's he's big. He at least knows where to stand. He scored 15, 20 goal pace at points in his career. But outside of that range of the net, he really does not bring a lot. And so if he stops scoring, uh, you really do not have anything to fall back on. Yeah, there's nothing else there. Yeah, like he's not great defensively. His penalty differential is gross, and he'll take dumb ones at bad times. Um, Really just kind of a huge disappointment, and... I am relieved that the Leafs were able to get out of it as painlessly as it appears that they have. Yeah, it, and I guess it is something worth noting that Kyle Dubas does not... He doesn't... Th- this demonstrates in some ways he's not the type to throw good money after bad. Mm-hmm. Right? He he spent... Like, this is a clear admission that, hey, signing Nick Ritchie to this deal was uh, a mistake. Yeah. Right? Um, to kind of salary dump him uh with a pick not that long later yeah you know and he's he's saying straight up like it didn't work out they they made three kind of roll of the dice forward signings michael bunting andre kasha nick ritchie bunting has been a spectacular success kasha i think has been a success and ritchie was a dud and so you can say hey you still shouldn't have signed nick ritchie you should have known better um but I think it was reasonable to expect more than we got out of him. And I think you can also say, look, when you take gambles, sometimes you don't win. That's what gambles are. So, yeah, anyway, best of luck to him in Arizona, who, again, has no real excuse not to play him. Mm-hmm. And play him, like, in decent minutes, too. Yeah, like, I hate to say it, but he might sort of be a top six left wing for them next year on merit. Now, they have almost no one on their roster at this point. For next season, it's like, it's literally Keller, Schmaltz, and Andrew Ladd. So, yeah, there, there will be job openings for him. And, you know, if they if they get him back and they're willing to retain on him next deadline, if you have a depth guy with 10 goals or something, I'm sure they'll get a pick for him if they can do that. So, yeah. Altogether, I feel good about this trade. I don't want to get carried away and assume it means more than it does because I don't think that it really changes the trajectory of the team unless things go really, really well by Abushkin. But for the price that was paid, effectively a second to A, unload Richie for next year and B, get a decent defense rental and then Zingle as a throw-in, I think it counts as a win. Yeah. um, I'm... I'm I'm pleased with this in the sense of I don't I don't think there's a I don't think there's really a strong argument for this not being considered like at least mildly positive. Mm-hmm. As we said, it, it, this isn't game changing by any means, but it it's not it, like I see essentially no argument that it's a bad move. Yeah, like the worst I, case scenario mm-hmm. is Lyabushkin gets here, turns out he's awful beyond words, and Zingle doesn't do anything. And then we're in the position of, well, we paid a second-round pick to unload Nick Ritchie's contract, which is not a ton of fun to have to do, but is understandable and makes a lot of sense. So if you say, okay, that's the worst-case scenario, this deal doesn't look too bad. 
Um, yeah, I, I wanted to talk a bit about Ben Sherat, just because he was so widely rumored, seemingly from every source, to be uh, someone the Leafs were interested in. And, you know, this is coming from Elliot Friedman, mm -hmm. Aaron Dreger. It's been around, and they've apparently had interest in him before. Um, okay, so I think that now that the risk has receded a bit, it's a whole bit easier to get perspective on this. But I was looking at this being like, why? Why would anyone do this? I don't want Ben Sherratt. <laughs> was not keen on this acquisition at all. And so I was trying to do the benefit of the doubt thing where I was saying, okay, if you have to make a case for why we should get Ben Sherratt, what is it? And the answer is, you think the Leafs are missing something very particular in terms of grit, in terms of being a physical, tough minutes defenseman who can hang in there when the, the playoff series tighten up. You have to believe the Leafs are missing that, that Ben Sherratt brings that, because he had his run with the Habs last year, and then he went to the conference finals with the Jets a few years before. And that it's worth getting someone who can do those things, even if the fit on the roster is pretty dicey, and even if the numbers are pretty rough. In terms of his isolated stats, they're okay. He's yeah, like they're, a, not, they're not yeah. awful. Like, it's not, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's not like Mike Koska or Corbinian Holzer level. Yeah, like, I think there are these meme defensemen where I'm thinking of at the absolute depths, maybe Eric Goodbranson or Dan Girardi in the, the New York Rangers days, who became, like, punchlines for how bad their stats were. Sherrod is not one of those. His stats are passable, although in Montreal this year, everyone looks like total garbage. Draw from that what you will. But in general, he's been he's been a competent enough guy. But that said, the fit with Toronto is a lot dicier because competent enough is one thing. He's 3.5 against the cap. He shoots left, even though he can uh, apparently play the right side. Um, he feels like a weird fit with Jake Muzzin. I mean, you do end up with a couple of tall guys, if that's what you're mm -hmm. into. Um, and he's also recovering from a lower body injury right now. And... You know, I don't know what it is, but anything that affects Ben Sherratt's mobility is a bit dicey because yes, his mobility he, was not that great to begin with. <laughs> yeah, not the most fleet of foot yeah. in general. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we were at the position of hearing about this trade being rumored, and it was rumored enough that at the least someone was telling a lot of people that the Leafs had interest in Sherratt. Maybe they still do. But you would have had to really believe that he was bringing that exact missing element. And it's the kind of logic that led to the Nick Foligno trade last year. And to be clear, I said I was tentatively positive on the Foligno trade before it went. Yeah, I, I, I did as well. Or at least yeah. I, I, I was less down on it than a lot of people were. Yeah. And, and you know, and it didn't work. And mm -hmm. it sounds like he was playing through some injuries within a week of getting there. But... I think we have to own that didn't deliver to expectations and the price was quite high. Um, with Ben Sherrod, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you have to be so convinced that he's the answer for this to be a good pickup because a lot of other things don't seem like they work very well. Um, now that said, 
uh, it's definitely in that zone where I would give some benefit of the doubt and say, okay, certainly there are things that I might be missing. It can be tough to divorce his results from the team he's on, all that sort of stuff. But I am happier with the the trade that we did make for Ilya Lyabushkin from most <laughs> than most of the trades I saw rumored about getting Ben Sherratt because the price sounded like it was out of all proportion to his actual value. Um, yeah, any thoughts on that? Um, I think I think that that more or less covers it. Uh, it's I so I am I ha- I did actually see we should you know I'm gonna New York Times here I'm gonna prevent present both sides of the discussion. <laughs> Um, there are people who are more negative on the uh, Lyubushkin deal than we are. Mm-hmm. But the idea being, and you, you raised this point, Fulderman, of our third pair is already kind of kicking ass, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's doing that in soft minutes, but you can't, there's like an upper limit on how good you can expect to be in an NHL hockey game. Like you can't control 90% of the shots because the game is just too fluid for that, right? Like even... even Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak with Charlie McAvoy have an upper limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if you're doing this to strengthen your third pair, it seems like not the point. And I would agree, yes. And I, I think the important thing is something we, we mentioned before is to believe this trade is good, I think you have to believe one of two things. One, there is a non-zero chance that Lyubushkin can play with Muzzin in a higher role and stabilize that pairing. Two, uh, and again, this is something you mentioned, if he plays on the third pair with Sandine, you can shelter that pairing less. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest takeaway here, is you need some sort of answer here, I think, where he's not just slotting in and bumping Liljegren out of the same job that Liljegren was already doing well enough. You either have to apply him to the job that Liljegren was struggling to do, second pairing, or you have to increase the difficulty of the job Lillegren was already holding in terms of the third pairing being dialed up. And we've ta- we talked about Tampa, how they kind of balance some of the minutes between their three pairings because their strength is all on the left side of each one. Maybe that's the dream there. And you end up with three pairings. The strain on Jake Muzzin is a little bit less. Um, he's able to rebound a bit, probably alongside Justin Hall again, in an easier job. And then you have Sandin and Lyabushkin. So, yeah, I I do think that you need one of those scenarios or it kind of turns into a bit of a meh rental. Um, The fact that we unloaded Nick Ritchie in the bargain makes it kind of tough to worry about. But, yeah. If this is just a second for the upgrade that we get out of Lyabushkin and then he doesn't turn out to be an upgrade, that is a disappointment. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, get, getting off Richie's bad salary for next year helps. And, yeah. and I mean, I saw some people, some people suggesting we can buy him out, but like, I don't, I don't really want one point three million dollars or however much it's going to be um, in dead cap next year. Like, it, it would have been a fairly small buyout for what it's it would have been, but um, nonetheless, now it's nothing. So <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm positive on this trade. I just, I don't think that it radically alters my position on the Leafs. Like, I have the Leafs as maybe around the fifth best team in the NHL, mm-hmm. give or take. And, and unfortunately, they might, they're might they looking like they're going to face the, the third best team or so in the first round. Yeah, unfortunately. Like, who are the teams that you would have ahead of them? Well, Tampa Bay, maybe Florida, 
Carolina, Colorado, and then maybe Vegas. Um, and I would entertain a case for Calgary. But, like, I don't think that this deal changes that that picture. Like, I don't ha- I don't move them past anybody because I'm like, well, now they have Ilya Lyabushka and I have to account for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for, so for, yeah. For what it's worth, um, Mike McCurdy has us as basically equally likely to face either Florida or Tampa, and the two of them are, like, a combined 50% of our possible playoff opponents. Yes, and Micah has always been fairly high on the Leafs' chances of winning the division. Yes, and I think still is. Like, if I, I'm, I'll pull up his point projections because he might still um, have the Leafs. Uh, above. Yeah, he, like his point projections still project the Leafs to win the division. Right. right. Which I, I don't think is that likely right now. Uh, Florida also has like one of the weakest schedules to end the year. Yeah, I, I mean, as it stands, the Leafs are three points back of Tampa. And six back of Florida. And they have a game in hand on each of them, but still. Like, the Leafs have to, I think, be a, a cut above them to really expect to make up that gap. Right, because, like, those teams are going to get 70% of their points the rest of the way. Right. Right? The Leafs need to outperform. The Leafs need to get, like, 80% of their points the rest of the way. Yeah, like, you need to, you know, work up a margin on them at some point. And as that Elliot Friedman stat about who's out in American Thanksgiving tends to prove... Seemingly small point gaps can wind up looming pretty large down the stretch just because all they have to do is play at about your level and they maintain their lead. So, so the bar is going to be pretty high. And mm-hmm. so if the Leafs don't win the division, then their chances of playing either Florida or Tampa Bay are enormous. So, yeah, uh, I do think that, that that's what's coming. Still, though, um, there is a scenario where I think we're really happy we made this trade, and there aren't too many scenarios where we're mad about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, cool. So I think that's basically all we wanted to um, discuss this week. I'm very glad Dubas made this trade and gave us something to talk about, and we'll see um, how it pans out. Was there anything you wanted to add, Fuleman? Uh No, I have uh, ranted enough about a guy that I've seen play hockey maybe three or four times ever. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, perfect. So um, thank you all for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionpanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.